Welcome back to Advice Amplified. Today's guest is Martin Jennings. You know, really about SJP and the press. Every, And why is that? That's because actually decisions were taken in the interest of SJP, not in the interest of clients. In this episode, we're going to go really deep into platforms, looking at trust, service levels, and fundamentally, how do advisors evaluate what they need from a platform? You know, every 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 customer I talk to, they say, Martin, we'd love you to make money, just not very much, <laughs> yeah? Martin is the CEO at Parminion and has over 20 years experience working across the globe. Is it my shareholders? Is it my customers? Or is it my employees? You can't charge your clients less and do more, pay your employees more, and deliver your shareholder returns. I know you're going to love this episode. Uh, it was a really awesome conversation. If you could do us a huge favor by subscribing to the podcast, maybe even give it a share, that would really help us to get more amazing guests like Martin. Thank you. Martin, welcome to Advice Amplified. Brilliant. It's great to be here, Pete. Thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to talking about all things platforms. So you ended up asking Matt this question, like platforms just seem... Like they should be simple, put some money in, it gets invested. Yeah. But there's always like billions of pounds floating around. It's a lot of people, seems really hard. Is it moving the assets or is that, or are you talking about building the systems? I mean. Yeah, the whole the whole like idea of a platform. I mean, the FCA kind of keep us in work, right? <laughs> I mean, they, they, they keep coming up with hundreds of pages of rules every year. Yeah. Of how pensions are going to change, how investments are going to change, how tax is going to change, et cetera. So if you think about that. We're constantly, I mean, people that run platforms are kind of, you know, we're analysts, we're technicians, we're kind of guys that just sort of sit there and interpret rules and try and build systems to try and simplify that for the users. But they're quite, you know, they're complicated beasts. But I think maybe if they stopped tinkering with regulation, we, we wouldn't have anything to do. The advisor community is pretty disparate in the UK. Um, you know, there's thousands of firms. They all want something different. So you take those thousands of requirements in and try and build common systems try and build common infrastructure. So you've got an ever-changing rule book. You've got thousands of users that all want something slightly different to allow them to kind of build a, a kind of unique proposition for themselves. And you just kind of sit yourself in the middle trying to make judgment calls on, on these things. Whilst at the same day, I mean, that platform's really simple. Right? At the end of the day, it's just a custody function. Yeah. So all we have to do is add up every day, how many shares do we have? How many units of funds do we have? And how much cash do we have? And does that reconcile? I mean, ultimately, we do a check to the, the fund managers and we do a check to the, the system. And that's pretty much what a platform is. Um, but then you start getting thousands of transactions running through and people outside of your um, sphere of influence do different things. You know, maybe they don't do something a bit late. That creates a break that then needs to be checked. So I think there's different bits to it. At the pure nuts and bolts of it, we're just providing a custody and admin function. Yeah. But clearly, we want to make ourselves more relevant to more people. So we get into a feature function war. Um, now, you know, Parminion doesn't really play that game because we kind of, we have our own proprietary tech. We, we, we're pretty clear on what our proposition is. We're there to run portfolios. We're there to run models. We're there to run centralized investment propositions. Um, so we're not trying to compete on all fronts. But I think for the sort of open market, pure wrap platform, I think it's hard, right? I mean, they've, they're competing on so many fronts for so many bits of business that ultimately it's quite a complicated business at the end of the day, changing rules, thousands of requirements. And I, I think that's probably kind of why it's harder than it should be because at the end of the day, it's just a big registry system. And it, it seems like there's um, 
you know, maybe this is driven by regulation or the, the obsession with cost and it's all about stripping cost and it's like a, a race to the bottom. Should that be the end game? Should it all be about like BIPs and whatever <laughs> yeah. BIP is? Or is there a point at which you go so low that actually you've, you've gone past the, you know, because I think, I think about EasyJet and this totally isn't it, but the whole new rules thing gets to the point where you don't even have a seat anymore and there's no toilets on the plane and you're like, no. okay, it becomes yeah, a terrible yeah, yeah. experience and well, I'd rather pay a bit more. EasyJet versus Ryanair. Yeah, yeah. You know? I actually think he's Jets okay, personally. I think <laughs> yeah. Ryanair's appalling. But I mean, I, I don't know why I say that, just maybe maybe the <laughs> ones that I'm always delayed on. And But it's the bits you don't see behind that, right? Because let's take that analogy. I mean, EasyJet, how often is a long-haul flight, a premium long-haul flight, how often is that delayed? Fairly, not, yeah. not, very, not very often, you know, short-haul, cheap budget delayed quite often. So why is that? I think they've got the premium routes. The infrastructure that sits behind is on a different scale. They've got the preferential routes. They've got the the slots on the on the runways. They they, they take off on time. They land on time. Um, and so there's an infrastructure there that needs to be paid for. So, you know, if you want to cut costs, you, you can't provide the full range of services. And I think that's the same with platforms. As you scale, there should be efficiencies. As, as more things become automated, there should be efficiencies. And those benefits should be passed on to the to the end clients. Um, and that logically makes sense. However, this obsession with race to the bottom is slightly different. What I see is entrants coming into the market without a USP, ultimately. So they're only players price. So they're trying to effectively land grab. So they offer a, a low price to effectively grab um, clients, assets, whatever, whatever they're the kind of market share is judged by, who is that helping in the long run? Because, you know, those clients potentially are kind of honey-trapped into these low-cost, you know, hopefully, you know, winners of the future, but they might not be. They can't all be winners of the future. So if I was putting my pension assets with somebody, I'd want that provider to be around for 10, 20, 30, 40 years' time. So for me, you want your providers to make money. You don't want them to make too much money. <laughs> Ultimately, yeah. you know, every 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 customer I talk to, they say, Martin, we, we'd love you to make money, just not very much, <laughs> yeah? We need you to be, you know, so self-sustaining. We need you to be around, you know. We need you to, you know, as we talked about earlier, we talked about all those FCA rules that come around. We need someone to analyze them. We need someone to build new systems for them. We need you to respond when, when, when things go wrong. Um, it's, like the, it's like your builder in your house, right? You know, when, when everything's going well, you don't see him. You judge him by when something goes wrong and how everyone leans in to fix it. And I think that's the same in, same, same in our industry. So coming back to the point around race to the bottom, I think that's the only lever some people have got, but I think that's not helpful. Capital is only going one way, the amount of capital you have to hold. Um, uh, the, the cost of change is constant. Um, and, you know, you want to be ultimately kind of, you know, around in 40 years' time. So you need to be making a profit. People, you know, shareholders can't sustain those losses for a long time. And I always call it the CEO's dilemma. The CEO's dilemma is you're, you're sat there on a daily basis, you know, trying to work out, you know, which of my kind of you know, three favorite children am I going to keep happy today, right? Is it my shareholders? Is it my customers? Or is it my employees? Because ultimately, you know, you can't charge your clients less and do more, pay your employees more, and deliver your shareholder returns, right? So you, you're always kind of making a constant back. So it's the, the CEO's dilemma. You can look at every business challenge through those three lenses.
and I guess without what's the right way of phrasing this like cost is the lazy easy dimension to evaluate value isn't it if yes the platform's cheap or this this product is cheap like how how do we put something else on the table i suppose for advisors yeah how do you judge it how do you judge cost versus value yeah why are you happy to pay 800 pounds for an iphone yeah most people I know don't even actually answer their phone anymore. So kind of, you know, what are they actually and what are they doing? Cost versus value is a, is a really interesting. But what, what are you ultimately providing um, from the platform? You're actually, you know, you're providing a service. At the end of the day, it is a service. You know, you are here. We, you're giving us your money. We are looking after it. We are then... Um, uh, applying those instructions and whenever you tell us to and 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 we'll we'll kind of you know keep keep on track of all of that so for me that service is there so the question then is how do you evaluate that service at its purest you can go and buy institutional custody somewhere in the market for pretty low single digit basis points right if that's what you want if you just want pure custody i don't want anything else no bells whistles no very reporting no tax wrappers played in you can you can get that then you start layering it up. And then how do you value it? How do you evaluate the value when something goes wrong and somebody leans in and fixes it? Because in an ideal world, um, the best service is probably no service. It's all electronic. Everything works. I never have to contact the provider. Um, and if there is a question, I should be able to find it really easily online. Come back to our iPhone analogy of earlier, you know, doesn't come with a user manual anymore. So should the platform not have a user manual? Should we not train people? Now, I think that's probably not reality because we're dealing with some complex rules when people start getting into, you know, into retirement and taking income and they've got multiple sources of kind of investments and how you manage all of that. So so how do you value that? And I think at the moment, um, as a sector, we've got ourselves caught up with value equals price, but there's no way to evaluate the service that you're getting. And ultimately, that's what we're providing. Um, we've done some research recently with, with some friends at the Lancat, kind of tried to look at kind of service. But that's just really measuring kind of how do people value service? How do they, what, you know, an overall feeling, yeah, feeling, oh, I get poor service. But there's no way to actually objectively measure it. And I think that's what we're going to try and do next, try and find a way to objectively measure that. So you can start to kind of choose what's important to you. And, and, and because service isn't one thing, it's many, many, many different things. And I think we get lost on that. So the research, I mean, the FCA, uh, the FCA research on their own um, would suggest that kind of, you know, people don't, don't value rating agencies. You know, they, 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 you know, they're not sure what they're getting from the rating agencies. They're, you know, they're all there as valuable, but, you know, everyone's got five stars. Everyone's got diamond ratings. Everyone's got kind of this. And, you know, you only really know when something goes wrong and, um, you know, you have to lean in and, and help fix that. We, we see this with Ningi. I, I see all the awards that you can win and it's, you know, a case of, well, we need to buy a table at that event or, yeah. you know, buy this or buy that report and then we'll, we'll get... So, hey, cool, we're not going to play in that space. But then yeah. I can't help but sort of wanting something for the website. And yeah. it, like, is there... Is, you need a sticker. Yeah, you, you, want, you sticker? want the sticker. Give yeah. me my service <laughs> sticker. Yeah, I, well, I, I, look, I think for you, I mean, you're, you're, you're in a... You're in a great position, right? Because you're 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 in a part of the market 
that I think is probably the fastest kind of growing part of the market, right? You know, that whole advice software, practice management, you know, there's not been a huge amount of innovation in that space for the last, you know, 20 years. I mean, when I first started, it was always first software and first software kind of going, and now in Teleflow, they've kind of come up and take the most market share. But I don't think there's been an awful lot of innovation. It's just been a lot of talk about nobody shares data and it's all very difficult. Well, well, now we all share data, right? Yeah. So data's not the problem. I actually think, and we've got enough technology, but are we actually spending enough time kind of actually thinking and understanding what the actual problems are? And I know you and your business, you're kind of coming at this going, right, tell us what the problem is and we'll help try and fix it. Um, and that's kind of where we were with platforms 20 years ago. So I think you're in a really kind of interesting spot, but how do I judge it? Is yeah. Pete any good? Is Ningi any good? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I suppose until I've installed it in our business, how, how, do I, how do I actually know? And that's the same with platforms. Everyone will say they give good service. Um, we go out there and our sales guys, we're knocking on the doors. Oh, we're good at service. We answer the phones. And, 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 but, but, you know, the BDM from the next firm saying the same thing, the BDM from the next firm saying the same thing. You never know until you actually, you actually try. But then secondly, what's important to you might be very different than the firm next door. You know, the, the simplest, purest example of this is, you know, when I phone you, do I, do, does somebody answer the phone or do I wait for an hour? And we all know that there are people out there where you have to wait for an hour to kind of get through. Dead time, wasted cost. Um, in a time when markets are down and fees are hard and try, cost of living crises, you know, uh, volatility, trying to get people to invest is difficult. Cash rates, it's probably easier just to put it in a term deposit. You know, do you really want to be then wasting your precious time sitting on the phone for an hour? No, of course you don't. But then you get two different providers. Both answer the phone immediately. Hello, provider A. Hello, provider B. Provider A says, thanks very much. Noted. We'll get back to you. Puts the phone down. You phone provider A, a again in a week's time. Hello. Noted. Yep. Got you on file. Our, our SLA is two weeks down. Provider B answers the phone and says, hang on a minute. A bit more information. This is going to take us five or 10 minutes. Let me just go and get the person that, that's needed. And this solves your problem there and then. So you get your one and done rate, right? If you measure the world on how quickly you answer the phone, yeah. provider B is providing a demonstrably better service for me than, prov than provider A. But and, and actually, from the provider side, which is our side of the fence, we think doing, doing B is cheaper in the long run. Why have someone answer the phone 10 times and just fob somebody off? Ultimately, you just want to fix the problem and move on. Build trust. You know, reliability, credibility, intimacy. I think that's the trust equation, isn't it? All kind of divided by self-orientation. So when provider A, you know, self-orientates around, we want to make some profit, we want, you know, that's where that whole trust equation kind of falls over. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one because I think we talk about services as if it's a feature yeah. or a function. And it's not. It's it's many things, and it's different things to different people. It almost feels to me, at least, that um, there's like a irreducible amount of complexity and stuff to do in that kind of world. And if you remove kind of cost or um, service from one place, it's got to go into another place. Yep. So either the platform picks it up or the advisors on the hook chasing it. Yep. You, yep. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I completely agree. And I, and 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 look, I I don't know if we've. We've seen that out because at the end of the day, the, the number of, from, from a client seeing an advisor, the number of things that have to happen before 
you know, said client buys product, you know, it, it is kind of just kind of standard, right? You, ca you can't change it. You can, you can automate stuff. You can simplify it. You can change who does it. Um, but ultimately, there's a number of tasks to be done. Then when somebody wants to take benefits, it's the same. Or somebody wants to make a change, it's the same. So we're in a space at the moment, I think, where people are coming to the market and saying, you know, we can do this better. We can do this better. We've got, we've got, we've got better widgets. We got better technology. We got, we got, we got, we got better. I don't know, whatever. Just, just, we just, everything's better. It's just shiny because it's all new and it's shiny. Well, what they're doing is saying, well, actually, we're ripping up the rule book and we're gonna kind of split these tasks up. But actually, what they're actually saying is, we're gonna push some of these tasks back to you. You currently today, you you phone platforms, you you deal with platforms every day of the week. It takes you time, yeah? Rather than chase the platforms, don't worry about that. Become your own platform, ultimately. Um, and, and then you don't have to chase them. You just got to deal with client services. Well, unfortunately, someone still has to chase, for example, on transfers. You know, there are, there are a lot of people out there that still don't kind of, um, you know, that transfers aren't all managed electronically across the market still. They should be. Um, the technology's there. But if you're dealing with a, you know, heritage type kind of um, scheme administrator they may not be enabled so someone's got to contact them you know and so what you're doing is you're pushing the administration about you're not actually removing it you're just moving it around in the ecosystem um, and i get it from a commercial decision because ultimately if you can run the tech um only that's infinitely scalable the problem is when you have to get a human involved that's not so scalable. So it's sort of variable cost, fixed cost time of type of elements, right? So, you know, we'd all want it to be simple. We'd all want it to be uh, um, kind of provided through technology. We'd all want it to be infinitely scalable because then we could reduce our prices, still make our margins, still make our, the CEO's dilemma. We could make everybody happy, pay our staff more, keep our customers happy, give our shareholders a return and reduce the overall cost to clients. But... Unfortunately, the market doesn't quite operate like that um, at the moment, unfortunately. So I feel like that'd be really interesting to dig into because you, so you mentioned transfers and I always, and, and again, referencing Ningi, we get asked all the time, can you make bring in new money really, really slick? Let's do client onboarding. Let's do top ups. Let's do all this kind of stuff. Yep. Transfers, withdrawals, like any anything like that is, oh, that's, that's just, I don't really need to, how can it be that, it can take six weeks or six months or be really, really painful. How do you think the industry gets away with that? <laughs> <laughs> How do we get it? I don't think anyone's trying to get away with it. <laughs> that's Pete. that's I a loaded way of saying it. I don't think anyone's trying to get away with it. I think that there is, look, the regulation has kind of been pretty clear. Yeah. Um, making transfers simpler. Right? Let's have some pivot share classes. Let's make sure that, you know, the funds on platform A and the funds on platform B, if they don't match, we'll have a pivot and it'll all go through. And I thought that that was going to drive up in species transfers. And I thought that would actually ultimately make things a bit simpler. What we see is probably it hasn't made an impact at all. I think less than 5% of our transfers are in specie. I'd go and check on that stat, but I think it's a pretty low number because what happens is, you know, things aren't fully automated. Assets get lost between provider A and provider B. And when, when the client looks on their dashboard and looks on their portal, they're kind of, where are they? Where are the assets? They're in the ether somewhere, right? Now, there's enough technology. And, and so it should just be really simple. You know, we should just be able to key it in, key in a policy number, push go, and the assets should all just move across electronically. Well, you know, I think people 
clearly are investing more money in money in processes than money out processes. That's a commercial decision. So if you believe that helps you build trust with your, with your clients, then, then so be it. Um, I think some people are ultimately kind of making kind of uh, policy or kind of commercial decisions, maybe to, to promote in money versus out money. And in some cases, you know, people just aren't adopting technology where they should. You know, I, I still struggle to comprehend how somebody can do electronic transfers in, but don't do electronic transfers <laughs> yeah. out. Um, and there are providers out there that have made that choice, right? These pipes go both ways, right? I'm sure if, <laughs> you know, if we if we got the guys from Alters and Oregon here kind of thing, they, you know, they'd say their pipes go both ways, right? And so that must be a conscious decision. And I think that's a real difficult one for advisors to kind of comprehend and understand. And why should they? You know, this is complicated stuff below the, below the, you know, it's a big iceberg. You see the top of it. I keyed into the screen and click. That should all just work. I mean, I can download an app on my phone in two seconds. I can open a spread betting account like that, take money and make a bet and get the money paid back to me in no time at all. Yeah. I can go on to Monzo, Revolut. I can, I can do it all today, but why is it so complicated? So I, I can only, you know, I can only assume that, you know, people are worried about kind of losing asset. Um, people are concerned that their models don't stack up. And, you know, I think that's individual kind of choices that businesses, but this is why I come back to the due diligence point we made, mentioned earlier and servicing. What are the things that are important to you? If getting money on platform quickly and having a shiny front end uh, and doing the servicing yourself, you should better tick all those things in a comparison due diligence, but, but, but you, you get what you pay for. I mean, we know that a third of people in the last 12 months have left a platform because of poor service. But when they choose a new platform, they choose it on price and features. So you get what you get what you buy in 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 that sense. But I think that's too simplistic because I don't think that people can actually objectively assess those those components. So I think ultimately, as I said earlier, they kind of they, they, you know they, we need to give them ways to do that and allow them to select the things that they do. So due diligence has to go deeper. I mean, it has to look into all kinds of things, cybersecurity, investment in technology. But you, you should start thinking in your due diligence about what happens when I want to get off. Do you, do you allow that? Is, that? is that straightforward? Do you charge me for that? Um, do you do it electronically? What's your transfers out? I'm, I'm pr I, perversely, I'm proud at Parminian that we, our transfer off times are quicker than our transfer in <laughs> times. Now, you know, I could be back to my CEO's dilemma <laughs> that, you know, I could be, um, you know, shareholders might not like that, you know, keep hold of the assets. But we think that builds trust, reliability, credibility, intimacy. We take our own self-orientation out of it, which is the denominator. And we believe that will build more trust. We give exceptional service. And over time, we, 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 you know, we will kind of really kind of build partnerships with, our, with, 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 with the advisors that use us. Do you think there is a, a trust issue? We often get told, I read stuff in the, you know, the press or yeah, the regulator kind of comes, comes and drops those, the, the trust issue. Yeah. I wonder, do we deserve to be trusted? And, and <laughs> Yeah, like, like, I, I think this is just, it's a fascinating kind of topic because the FCA or the FSCS, they've all done research. Where does, you know, financial services, it sits b between telecoms and utilities or broadband providers and utilities for trust, right? So we're not trusted as, a, as an industry. However, 
I've never spoken to anybody, friends, colleagues, people in the industry, um, who would not say that the advisor, that their advisor, the guy that sits, you know, in front of them and, and has, they have their utmost trust. They're, they're sitting there, they're doing your plans, but they're, they're sitting there trying to understand you, your partner, understand where you're going, understand. So you, you tell them things that you probably don't tell many people. So you have got the most intimate trust with with that financial advisor, yet the industry is mistrusted, right? So, so how can that be? It makes no logical sense. Um, I think people deal with people, not with brands. So I think two things happen. And, and let's take that trust equation again. Reliability, credibility, intimacy. be open, be honest, do what you say you're going to do, do it over and over again, yeah? And then it's kind of the denominator is self-orientation. So, you know, ultimately self-interest. So what happens, I, I see so often is, once you kind of self-interest, you know, um, structured product selling scandals, British Steel cases, the self-orientation self denominator became so large that actually trust is broken down. People read those things in the papers, the people read them, they see it on the news. And so you look at that industry and you say, that's just not trustworthy, but, you know, Fred that turns up in my house, I trust him with my innermost secrets. And so it's a very interesting dilemma. So then you start to say, well, how does that play through in the industry? Well, two things. Why is service so important? Because you want, you want reliability. You want the same thing to happen over and over again. It's like going to your favorite restaurant. This is the way I think of it. So how many times do you, you go to your favorite restaurant right? and you go there, what, once, couple, every couple of months? And when you go in, you kind of want the menu to kind of be pretty similar to what you had before, and you want it to be the same quality, right? For the people working in the restaurant, serving the same food every day, the same menu, the same, must get quite boring after a while, must get a bit lax, oh, <laughs> just, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, just 90 seconds under the grill, not two minutes. No, because to give, you know, to, to be at that top end of service, it needs to be the same every, every single time. So reliability, and I think as providers, and all the issues we've discussed today, we kind of, they're just, they're not, they're not providing that level of reliability. So that helps undermine trust. So that, that denominator of self-interest plus that reliability, I think creates a kind of aura around the sector that sort of says, mm, you know, things go wrong, a bit of self-orientation came in there. Whereas actually, you know, for me, it's a kind of, yeah, so the, you know, the advisor is utmost trusted. So how do, how do we get around that kind of, structural challenge you know and once you start getting consolidation you become big brands you know really about sjp and the press every and why is that that's because actually decisions were taken in the interest of sjp not in the interest of clients so if we stay client focused i think that trust level will come back yeah we it, it's a really interesting um duality that social media influencers or influencers or you know you see reports of ChatGPT being used yep. for financial advice so people are willing to trust demonstrably non-trustworthy sources for financial advice yeah. but the industry that's heavily regulated professionalized all these kind of things um and i suppose it's, it's, it's a case bad of, actors like ruining yeah. the masses yeah i think in that sense you know and where do you get your sources of information from and that's we're different you know you know on the other side in the states people are kind of a bit more bit more financially you get your first stock when you're 18 you you're more open you talk about wealth at you know at parties and with your friends you know british we don't we don't talk about wealth we kind of keep it to ourselves so where's our where's our trusted source 
Google, really? Is that where we should be going for some complex, complex advice? So I think the financial, you know, advisory profession has got nothing. You know, they are, you know, they're in a really good spot, right? Because there are more people that need advice. We know that there are six million people that would pay for advice or whatever it is that that, that don't get it. So they're in a, the profession's really healthy. There's there's a lot of supply of clients, right? So um, the question is, how do you kind of get over that? How do you kind of Industrial, how do you close that gap down? I, I don't have the answers to those those challenges, really. I mean, it's a very complicated kind of kind of world. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you that the six and a half million. How do how do we yeah. how do we solve it? Yeah, look, I don't know. I think we can all do our bit. I think from our side, the providers like us, technology helps, right? If we can make it more efficient and effective, again, credible, reliable, reliability. You're hearing a lot from reliability service, you know, um, self orientation. But for me, if, if we get that reliability going, and we can actually automate as much as we possibly can. If, 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 you know, if everybody kind of all of a sudden tomorrow I could wave a magic wand and every transfer was electronic, that would free up capacity, right? That would free up capacity in the advisor's office as well. And the research that we've done recently would say, suggest that sort of 90% of people would spend time building their business, finding new clients, um, you know, running their businesses better, et cetera. So, you know, if you take that, you know, that an average advisor is dealing with 120 clients, they could deal with, 200 clients, all of a sudden you've closed the gap a yeah. little bit. I think there's some regulation we need to do around guidance and advice and, you know, the perimeter guidance side of things, but that will kind of open up kind of different channels. But I think it's little bits. There's not one silver bullet that's going to change that. Um, on our side, all we can do is try and simplify it as much as we can, you know, and just fight the fight really for just getting rid of nonsense. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just nonsense. Yeah. Some of this stuff is just, I mean, you're dealing with it every day, right? <laughs> I mean, from, 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 you know, your business is existing to go in and say, tell us your nonsense and we'll take the pain away. Yeah. And I think we're trying to be a bit like that. You know, we're in control of our own destiny. So we're just saying, let us help you remove the nonsense. Yeah. But, you know, nonsense for one person is kind of somebody else's kind of business model. But I think we're kind of aligned on that, right? You know, that's what you're doing. I think that's what we're doing. Owning our own technology really helps because we can focus on the things, well, the problems that our clients have. I'm not trying to compete with everybody else's features, you know. This happens in many other sectors, telecom sectors. You get into these feature function wars about, well, we've got one of these. Have you got one of these? Have you got a push five, push star, and it does, you know, it plays jingle bells. No, we haven't. Oh, I can't use you. I mean, does anybody ever use this stuff? It's just used to get the BDM out of the office, right? So the sales guy turns up and you say, oh, have you got one of these? No. Okay, good. I don't actually have to have the difficult conversation, which is I don't want to use you. So we're not playing that game, right? We're just trying to say, tell us what you want. And we'll try and build cool solutions that just work every time. I mean, that resonates so hard. We literally got asked the other day, um, how would someone configure a workflow to send someone an email on their birthday? And I thought that that's not the question you need to be asking us right now when you're running your business on Excel. <laughs> so you're not predicting that someone's going to drop some crazy AI or blockchain or some nut solution in there. It's, it's incremental, sensible moves forward. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, blockchain, it seems to have gone away now. So that's kind of... I think in, you know, and I I try to understand these things, you know, not being very bright. I kind of, you know, I have to kind of consider these things. I kind of get blockchain in some sort of closed loop kind of wholesale environments on a retail side. I kind of, I, I don't understand how that, you know, everyone's signing off on that token kind of works. I, I kind of, anyway, let's, let's put that to one side. AI is an interesting one. AI is everywhere at the moment, isn't it? I think machine learning is just, it means more to me 
than, than, than AI. And so from a machine learning perspective, I think there are definitely significant applications. I mean, um, you know, just repeatable processes, things that a machine can do, you know, doesn't make the mistake, right? Um, that we can kind of just run and run again. Coming back to my reliability point, you know, let's just, let's use machines to do what machines are good for. That frees up the people to do what they're good with. People are good at building relationships. People still like dealing with people. I think the whole AI world and financial advice and kind of automated, it scares me. Uh, I, I, you know, generally, maybe because I'm just old now. So it's kind of, it just, it just scares me the thought of kind of talking to nobody and, Elon Musk tells everyone that we should be more scared of AI than we should be of anything else, right? And he's a smart guy, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, smarter than me. So I kind of I take that on. But look, in our own business, I think I think AI's got a, an application, particularly in generating content, um, promoting our products, you know, taking a kind of an analyst briefing or one of our uh fund managers' briefings and being able to convert that into, you know, tangible content, web content visual content that, that that simplifies that whole production piece but i think on the on the platform side at the moment for me that's a lot of machine learning and how can we take unstructured data sets and turn them into structured data sets how can we run repeatable processes and not make but going back to the point about transfers if people make a policy decision not to automate that stuff what's your ai going to do to solve that problem that you know the end point is a fax machine yeah yeah just call that fax machine over and it's AI spam. <laughs> for anyone that's worked in offices for years ago, you'd have, you'd have known that when the thing used to run out of paper yeah, and it just kept getting called and called and called again kind of thing. But um, yeah, that's how, that's how we're looking at that. I think, um, I think you know, again, we, you know, we, can, we can be innovative. We can try things. Um, and, and I think there are a lot of applications. They're probably not where people kind of immediately think they are. And I suppose, especially when you put that context of, this is someone's life savings that's going to sit there for 34 years. You, yep. let's, let's not throw some, uh, you know, uh, Terminator star stuff at it <laughs> too, too quickly. Yeah. At the end of the day, look, I mean, money, you know, particularly at the, I mean, most of our clients, we're dealing with kind of mass affluent clients, mums and dads, investors, you know, and they've earned that money, right? It's hard. They just, you know, they just want to know and trust us to look after it. Yeah. Make sure you kind of don't, you know, just, just don't cock up. Really, and it, and it's and it is doing. You know, we always used to say, "Oh, kind of, you know, do the basics brilliantly," kind of thing. I I think it's probably slightly different now. We just want to be just do the basics boringly, right? Just 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 do them and do like my restaurant analogy earlier. When I go, I just want my steak to be cooked like that. I want my mac and cheese to taste just like that. That was the best. When I come in four weeks' time, I want my steak to be cooked like that. My mac and I don't care. It's the thousandth steak you've cooked today. I want you to put the same love and attention into my steak that you put into the one I, you cooked for me a thousand steaks ago. You're in a privileged position, I suppose, of looking across a lot of advice businesses and seeing what they're doing well, what they're not doing well, and those kind of things. Um, what nuggets of advice might you be able to offer for advisors that could be listening right now and wondering what they can do to make their practice more efficient or more engaging or or just better generally? Yeah, God, that's a that's a that's a good question. You know, never thought of me giving people ad advice on how to run their business. I kind of get enough people kind of telling me kind of what, what we should be doing. I try and run our own business as, as well as we can. I, I, for me, the people you work with, the ecosystem of providers or technology or software that you use, 
let's just make sure that they actually do what they say they're going to do. Do the basics boringly, but think about it in terms of kind of, I think due diligence now is kind of, there's so much on offer that it's so easy to get swept up with that's new or that's shiny and the, the old magpie kind of analogy. Um, when at the end of the day, this is just boring custody and registry, right? Um, so ask the questions. Ask the questions about, does it interface with this? You know, do I believe you? Actually, you know, ultimately, what's it like if something goes wrong? Can I get out? How simple do you make it to get out? I mean, it sounds a negative. It's like it's like doing contracts. It's like providing any kind of contract with anybody. Contracts are irrelevant. Con when you when you do an, when, when when you do a commercial negotiation with someone, you sit in a room for hours. You pay lawyers far too much money, yeah, and 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 you let them lawyers talk to lawyers, and they all just kind of create this kind of this world for themselves where they can all earn fees, and then you create these lovely contracts, right? And then you never look at them ever again until they go wrong. Then you pull them out and you realize that it didn't cover the scenario. But I think that's the same with due diligence, right? You're only really looking at things. Everyone can take new money in. Everybody can sign club. Everyone's got an app. Everybody does this. Everybody does that, you know. So what happens when something goes wrong? So I think that question for me would be, make sure you do your due diligence. Make sure that things kind of talk to each other. Think about your client. Think about the services you're providing them. And then think about, do the people that are providing me services live to the same values that I would expect when I deliver that to my end client. And I think that's a good way to kind of live by. Work with fun people. It's a relationship business at the end of the day. Work with fun people, do your due diligence, make sure they've got the same kind of values and beliefs that you do. I mean, could it be as simple as making it easy for people to leave? Um, solves a lot of these problems. So I, th I think about um, banking. And when, when I joined the industry you know, 15 years ago, there was a stat that you were more likely to get divorced than switch your bank. <laughs> um, I, I think that's changed now. I'm not sure. With I don't the, know. Maybe. The switch well, you've guarantee. got that switch guarantee, yeah. haven't you? So yeah. a current, I haven't done it for a long time. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, promote, I bank with HSBC. So I kind of, you know, maybe they're not the best bank, but when I moved to Australia, they were the only people that would set up a bank in Australia, a bank account in Australia before I was living in Australia. So they so just made, they understood my problem. You know, you hear it in the office, people moving banks all the time. And it just, it, it's easy. You know, all the direct debits get moved, all the standing orders get moved. Everything kind of works. Why isn't that the same in financial services? Now, I think maybe legislation drove that. Yeah. Was it legislation that drove that? I mean, I don't think we need more regulation or legislation. We just need to enforce the rules that we've got. You know, they're all there. Consumer duty is massive, right? And, and it's so big. And, it, and, and, you know, it now becomes the buzzword bingo. Oh, is that very consumer duty <laughs> of you? And kind of, but, but, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I mean, it's just saying, just do the right things. Yeah. So going back to my point, I'll take money in electronically, but I won't send it out electronically. Is that doing the right thing? And, and those sorts of things, I think, are really easy to kind of, kind of um, regulate to be perfectly honest. So I just think we just need to see some of that action really rather than just more words. Totally, totally. Well, Martin, that's been absolutely amazing. Thanks Brilliant. so much for... Thanks for your time, on. Pete. Time's Cheers. flown. Brilliant. <laughs> Good to see you. And you, and you.